0: I got a good uh word today on Super Bowl Sunday. And here's a good you know church was church was closed last week. Was anybody here during the power outage last week? Man, that was so encouraging as a pastor. I'm thinking like 30 40 people going to show up and eat some donuts, grab some coffee and go home. We had almost 800 people between two services worshipping out there on the streets. And I think if we're not careful, I was really excited about it, but, you know, wherever we worship is where we worship. I feel like as we uh, worship out in the street, it's almost like this it was sending this message that we don't have to have this. This is a luxury, not a necessity, and a lot of pastors are looking for big buildings like this, and, you know, it is a real blessing that we, we got this and that our founding pastors, Philip and Holly, contended in their faith to get a building like this. So you could all worship here. So we just show them some love, man. It wasn't easy to move into this place. I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> you had, had some real faith, man. Uh, the The story goes that we had uh, we had uh, 90 days to come up with two million dollars. And in a calendar year, the church had never raised more than three hundred thousand dollars above tithes and offerings. So we needed two million dollars in 90 days, and people gave from all over the city, all over the world, so you could be in this building. I don't have the exact number, but Joel Osteen heard about us needing this building, and Joel Osteen gave hundreds of thousands of dollars so you could sit up here and worship God. Did you know that? It's crazy. So when you see Joel Osteen, you can go, man, Brother Joel, good looking out, came through with that real check. He came through with a real check. And then other people gave 50 bucks and 20 bucks and... What was cool is a few years ago, and this has nothing to do with my message, I'm just reminded of it, um, uh, as these uh, police lights shine in my face. (laughs) That bright light right there is so bright. Um, uh, This girl came in a few years ago, uh, maybe 2015. We moved in this building in 2013, and I just found this girl in the front, and she was crying. And I asked her why she was crying because I was getting ready to minister. I thought she was like, hey, you know, you need prayer. And she says, no, these are tears of joy. She says, we were trying to raise money for this building. And she said, and I sacrificed everything I had at that time to be able to give so we can move into this building. And one month before we moved in, I, had, I got a job in Boston and I was transferred. And this is my first time back in the building that I sewed to make sure we could get and so I'm just overwhelmed with the presence of God and the fact that I just get to be in this place. But that's what happens when you encounter something that your sewing helped get. And I want to preach today on this week six of Made for This. Just I want to call it the power of sewing. The power of sewing. You might want to write that down because I want to challenge your theology today, especially living in LA. Uh We have big dreamers in L.A. Anybody got a dream? You can fill a church talking to people about their dreams. But can I be honest with you? I want to be real with you right now. God has very little interest in making your dream happen. Now, his dream, on the other hand, that he gives you, that doesn't mean you're supposed to give up your dream. He has very little interest in making your dream happen happy. You know what he wants to do? He wants to exalt himself in the places where everyone else is exalting the dream. So wherever someone else is being exalted other than him, he would love to put you in that place, but to glorify him, not you. And that's the part that we have to understand about dreams. That's why sowing is more important than dreaming. That's all I'm gonna to present to you today is a biblical concept that sowing is more important than dreaming. I want you to say that. Sowing is more important than dreaming. And sowing is a biblical and spiritual word. And so if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Galatians 6, verses one through 10. Ooh, I feel the favor's gonna be released if somebody gets this today. You watching online, I want you to put in the chat, sowing is more important than dreaming. And so here's this passage of scripture in Galatians 1 through 10, uh, chapter 6. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, I'm I'm just going to stop right there. This this is, I want to argue that there is no better verse in the Bible for me that prepares me for harvest and favor. So right, I mean, this is the week where you want to take notes. This is not the week where you want to shout so good and you don't remember anything I said. I had someone say that to me, that message you preached last week was the best message I ever heard in my life. And I said, wait, which one was that? They were like, oh, snap. Uh, You were talking about how the Lord, uh, uh, how he might not come when you want him, but he's always on time. That ain't not, that is not what I said. Best message you ever heard in his life, couldn't remember any of what it was. And so this message right here, I I can't think of a better passage of scripture uh, that will Prepare you for God's favor. By the way, anytime I preach, somebody asked me the other day, my entire goal for preaching is this, and I'm not saying it should be everyone's goal, this is my goal that you would understand the Word of God solves problems. The Word of God will solve every problem in your life. If you don't believe that and you go straight to your friend who doesn't know the Word and you call your mama and them who don't know the Word, the Word of God solves every single problem. I have ever had. So what I'm trying to submit to you is that if you feel that you're just not in alignment with God's favor, uh, and and you're not walking in the fullness of the blessing that God has called you to, what I am trying to do is to present to you that the word of God, even more than prayer, hear me, we should pray. I want us to pray. We need to be a praying church, but we need to pray first and foremost, the word over our lives. Does that make sense? Because why would God answer a prayer that's outside of his word? You can't pray your way around principles. You can't pray your way around divinity. There are certain things that if you just did them according to his word, you wouldn't even have to pray. I'm going to release somebody over prayer from favor because I'm going to give you a principle. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, a transgression, a transgression, Now, transgression is an outward sin. Here's what's cool about Jesus and what's so profound about him is the Bible says that he was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Pierced for our transgressions, the outer sins, bruised for our iniquities, the inner sins that we have yet to do. So a transgression is when a sin in you manifests itself with an action outside of you an iniquity is that old janky nasty stuff on the inside of you that's just waiting for someone to cut you off for traffic so you can do what you've been waiting to do on the inside of you anybody have a wish i wish somebody would spirit i wish somebody would come on but anybody got a a demon called i wish somebody would you just waiting for somebody to do something wrong so you can tell them off. You're just waiting for somebody to do something wrong so you can rebuke them. You just have that spirit. Well, that's an iniquity. Jesus was pierced, which means blood came out for the sins that, came, that would come out. But he was also bruised. What is a bruise? It's blood under the skin. So God made sure Jesus bled on the outside for the sins that you do on the outside But Christ also bled on the inside, a bruise, for the sins you have on the inside. So you're already forgiven for the things you're about to do. Do you know how profound this forgiveness is? I'm just... So he's saying a transgression. Here's what happens in church. Can I preach to somebody? Let me teach the word to you. Because we have grace and we have forgiveness, we think transgressions are okay. There's grace. There's grace. There's Yes, there's grace from God but the church is actually supposed to help you correct your transgressions one of the biggest things you need in your life if you are prepared for favor is not some old judgmental crazy person but someone who deeply loves you that can say "Mm, I don't know about that anybody got anybody in their life that can correct you Anybody have that friend that if you try to correct them, they turn into a mountain lion, just turn into a wild beast and attack you so you just sit around and watch TV and don't have real conversations? I'm so grateful for my friends who have challenged me and who can correct me and who can say, hey, I don't know about that. Maybe you should try this. I have that in every area of my life for the first time ever. Before, I didn't have it. Before I had it in marriage, everything was Christina's fault. And then I finally got some people around me going, nah, brother, I think that's you, my bro. What? The devil is alive. that's her. No, they're saying this is what you need to be doing different. This is what you need to be doing different. A lot of people are believing to get more healthy this year instead of surrounding themselves with healthier people. Maybe you need to cut the friend loose that always invited you to Roscoe's. <laughs> hey. I, I, we can't be, you You see where I need accountability. And accountability is not making sure you don't do something bad. Accountability is them trying to hold you to the, what they see in you that's good. No, I see you living a long time. I see you doing this. Let me help you. See, accountability, when it's negative, I just want to make sure you don't sin. No, I want to make sure you live in the full glory and goodness that the Lord has shown me over your life. And so it's saying... If anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I could preach about this for three hours. Leave it up on the screen for all of y'all that don't have a spirit of gentleness. Oh, I'm, that's a, I wish anybody would. You say it and it's mean and it's aggressive. And then you love to make an excuse for it. You know me, I'm just straightforward. No, 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 no. It doesn't say be straightforward. It doesn't say, you know how I do. I'll tell it like it is. No, you need a spirit of gentleness. Do you know gentleness is a fruit of the spirit? And it's an act of strength. And most people are not gentle because they're so afraid that that means they're going to be walked all over. No, why can't babies be gentle? Why will a baby poke your eye out and they're six months old? Because they have no strength. So gentleness is strength under control. It means I, I could come at you like this, but I'm not going to. Because the spirit of gentleness has taken over. So it says you who are spiritual should restore him in a spir- or her in a spirit of gentleness. Now, to be careful, a transgression is a lapse in truth, not a denial of truth. It's a lapse. So when you, someone is a transgression and you've sinned, the, the number one qualification is that you go, if you not want help, you go, yeah, you right. I know that's wrong. I just messed up. But the moment you start trying to say, who are you to judge me? You don't know my story. You don't know him like I know him. And y'all laying up in bed every night. Or you don't know her and you start to, and so you don't have to feel guilty. You start trying to define sin yourself. And when someone calls it out, you got to agree. You got to want to know what's wrong and you got to want to do better. And it's saying that in order for the church to get rid of sin, we have to have people who acknowledge that sin is sin, but also the corrective people to be more gentle. Have you seen a person online correcting people in their sin gently recently? I haven't. It's just, y'all all going to hell. You just showed me something this morning where some preacher is telling people, if you listen to Beyonce, y'all going to burn in the lakes of fire and so forth. I'm like, what is going on? Like, how does Cuffit make me want, I don't, like, how am I going to hell over doing that? No, I'm not doing it again. So what I'm saying is, I'm believing, and I want you to believe with me, that the Holy Spirit is gonna help us declare a war on sin in the church. Like only two people clap, because if I said we wanna declare a war on being broke, (laughs) You would go, nobody wants to declare a war on sin? Do you know that sometimes the devil wants God to exalt you so he can make your private sins public at the height. I said, sometimes the devil wants God to bless you. So at the height of your blessing, at the height of your marriage doing the best, at the height, he can make what you've been doing in private public and embarrass you in front of everybody. What I'm telling you is we have to declare war on sin and how we do this is we have to acknowledge that there is sin. But also the church needs to be filled with gentle people. They're like, hey, let me pull you aside. Man, I love you so much. I mean, the people who correct me in my life, they're the most gentle people. I I have, I don't even know if they're really correcting me sometimes. I was like, was that a rebuke? That was so nice. But one of my mentors, Dr. Frank Damasio. I took this job in the LA city, uh, and I was confused about my calling and I did the wrong choice. And he said, man, uh, I, I I was believing that God was going to do something more than being a pastor because I was that discouraged. And so I took this other job and it didn't work out. And when it didn't work out, he said, man, now, you know, the devil's been trying to lie to you about your calling, huh? I was like, what what did you just say? He said, the devil's been trying to make you think that there's something better than pastoring. I saw that the whole time for six months. I was like, why didn't you say anything? Because the Lord told me he needed you to go on that journey so that you could discover that for yourself. And when he said to tell you, to tell you, I knew the timing would be just, I knew we would have this conversation and I've been praying for you the whole time and you're gonna be one of the greatest pastors. He corrected me, but it was just with this thing of gentleness this Holy Spirit strength under control. In relationships, you know when we get mad at someone, we go, you always. Anybody say that to their sitting or other? You always do this. And they did it twice, or maybe even a 100 times. But we go, you always, or you never. We become accusers, we get aggressive, and we get elevated, and we start yelling. And we go, I'm, hey, I'm not yelling. Yes, you are. How do you want me to say it? This is how I talk. No, gentleness. Gentleness. A spirit of gentleness. Which means, notice it's a little, it's not a, the Holy Spirit. A spirit of gentleness is, is just, it's a spirit. It's what you always do in your humanity is that you're gentle. You know, somebody say, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all? That's a lie. If you don't have anything good to say, find something good to say and say it. Because we have to speak things into existence. We have to declare God's goodness over people. And then it goes, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill. Wait, let me, oh, I can't keep this part. He said, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. He's like, listen, when you're correcting somebody, know that you got your own junk too. Stop being so focused on other people that you don't watch for yourself. And then it says in verse 2, we're going to go on line by line. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So for something, somebody, you've been walking in this holiness and this area of not sin for so long, it becomes an expectation of other people. Like you should do this or you should know. Or look at these fake Christians or, you know, we're, the Christianity is known as being like hypocrites. Well, I don't go to church because the church is filled with hypocrites. You, the, the bar is filled with hypocrites and I see you there every Friday night. No, it, hypocrites is, is meaning that you expect something of someone else that you cannot do. A hypocrite is not a failure in your character. A hypocrite is when you expect something from someone else that you are not doing. That's why it says keep watch on yourself. And then it goes here in verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. The verse continues to say, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. You notice what's happening here? It seems that he's getting ready in an agricultural term to prepare farmers for a harvest. But this is spiritual. He's trying to prepare the church for the good things God wants to bring to the church. But he starts off with, hey guys, how do we remove sin? How do we deal with sin in the church? How do we make sure that we have people that are willing to call us out with gentleness, but how do we make sure that people are willing to call us out? When you have that thing that you know that you do, how do you keep people around you that can hold you accountable to being the better that they've already prophesied over you? Not the better that they expect, the better that God has revealed. This is so important you understand this. You cannot correct someone with gentleness if it bothers you they're doing that. gonna go over here real quick. I can tell, I have discernment. If you're irritated with what I'm doing, you're not the person to correct. If you're bothered or you're frustrated, your correction, let me just say, you can be the person to correct, but your correction will have little to no impact because they will pick up that you're bothered, The enemy has probably been masterful about making sure they've lived under a critical spirit. That person has probably been criticized their whole life, and now they reject wise counsel because they're picking up on their frustrated, and you put them in a position where instead of them trying to please God through the correction, they're trying to please you. This is good preaching, man. God bless my mom. My mom's in heaven, but my mom was very critical of me. And the one thing that mattered the most to my mom was education. And my mother was so mean to me and so critical of me that I, my number one regret, if I have one regret, is I I was getting recruited for soccer from UCLA and Virginia. And my mom, we had this relationship where I feel like she was always so critical of me. I was always trying to reject something she told me to do so that I could prove that I could do it and prove her wrong. Instead of proving God right, I was trying to prove her wrong. And so I remember in my senior year of high school, my mother came to me and I got like a C or something. And she said, you keep going this way, you ain't gonna graduate. And I've already sent out the invitations. And if you don't graduate, I'll be so embarrassed. And I said, I got you. I stopped going to class. I stopped going to class. I was at in AP classes, literally when I was in the fifth grade, I read at a high school level. I was a genius, and I stopped going to class my senior year because of the way my mom corrected me. My, in, in, in May of 1995, you know how old your boy is. May of 1995, I had shut down so much that I was not going to be able to walk with my classmates over three credits. And my teacher came up to me and she says, Julian, I don't know what's going on at home, but you are the smartest kid in my class. You have got to walk with the rest of your classmates. And and she said, so if you write a 10 page report on the value of education or something like that, I will pass you and give you the credits for the whole thing. And not only did I not do it, but she offered the same thing to my friend and I helped write her paper. And I did not walk with the rest of my classmates trying to get back at a critical person. And I remember sitting, I can tell you where I was when I was sitting down um, on the curb, listening in in the high school, I was sitting outside my high school and they were going through the names and they went in alphabetical order. And I remember when they got to the part where they would say low, they said an M as the last name and I got skipped and something shifted into me that was not good where I decided that I was going to be more successful than my mother without my mother's help. Over criticism. And I made it really hard on myself. And I made a lot of money in my 20s. And it didn't mean anything. And I literally, literally just healed from that a couple years ago. And it happened when I was 17. That's how much damage people who are under a critical spirit can happen, which is why it's important that the enemy sets you up to not be able to have your sins addressed by putting you in critical environments before he gets you into the church, so that when you come to the church, all you want is grace, 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 little bit of truth, all grace, because I can't handle anyone telling me the truth. And so my prayer is that the power of the Holy Spirit would cancel the critical spirit that I've seen everywhere in our church so that believers who I love so deeply would be able to handle the truth. That's, that's my prayer. It's really my prayer. Because as he's going through this thing with sin, he's basically trying to say, I need to deal with this so that what you sow isn't contaminated with your need of affirmation. I got to get rid of this so that we don't have contaminated seed going into the ground because contaminated seed or faulty seed yields a faulty harvest. So can I deal with the sin before I deal with the favor? These aren't my favorite messages to preach, but the reality is is he's dealing with sin before he deals with favor because most of the time we are locked away from favor. It is unaddressed sin that God forgives and loves you just the way you are. And even if you didn't do that sin, God doesn't think you're better, that's how awesome God is, but he's like, I need to deal with it because the enemy's trying to expose it. And when you get to the point where all eyes are on you, I just wanna make sure that someone doesn't find anything that ruins what we've built together. Like, this is, is this helping anybody? So, he uses these two words when it comes to sin, and one of them is is transgression, which is a lapse in truth, and the other one is deception, which is wandering from it. So, a transgression means, I know what to do, but I'm struggling to do it. That's okay. God's with you, there's grace. Deception is, I think what I'm doing is the right way. Does that make sense? And I've wandered so far from the truth that someone has to come get me. Now watch this, oh my God. The church is a solution for both issues. So when you're transgressing, it says what you need is someone to correct you gently. You know what's wrong. When you're deceived and you've wandered, that's where the Bible says, we leave the 99 to pursue the one. So when someone wanders, we need someone to pursue them and correct them gently. We don't say, man, they stopped coming to church six months ago. Go get a coffee. Go pursue them. You seen so-and-so? They ain't been in church in a while. Yeah, you know how people wander. No, where are you? Go get them. Don't go. Don't even invite them. Go get them. Go meet with them where they're at. If they're going to a Laker game, go to the Laker game. And that is suffering right now. Go. go if, if they're at the park, go to the park. If there's a birthday party on Sunday, and they're going to be at that birthday party, don't say you have church. Go to that birthday party and be the church. Pursue them. Show them that they matter. Many people can leave the church, and we don't even know they're gone. We got to start realizing people are gone. In Walmart and grocery stores, they have this thing called Code Adam. This kid was uh, kidnapped in the 80s named Adam Walsh, and, and... they didn't find him in time because his parent went to the, to the person who worked at the cash register and there was no system or structure. So by the time they were able to search the store, some kidnapper had already made it out with, out of Adam in the department store and killed him. And so now they have a thing called a code Adam where when you go up to the cashier, the whole store shuts down. All the doors are locked. And everyone, customers and employees and all, stop what they're doing and look for that lost kid. And they don't stop and don't open the store until the kid is found. We need code atoms in the church where if someone is lost and someone is wandering, we stop with the 80,000 worship nights and the 50,000 conferences that cost $300 to get into and shut it down and go get that person that's wandered from God. Can you imagine if you wandered from the church and you walked away and 800 people showed up to your Starbucks? You just in there sipping your little peppermint latte and 800 people out there going, great are you, Lord. It's your breath in your lungs. And you're like, oh my God. 800 people care that I'm missing? 800 people care that I'm gone? And think about it. Anybody ever lost a kid? in the store? Come on, parents. You know you lost your kids. Stop trying to... (laughs) When you find them, in two seconds, what do you do? You rebuke them. Don't run off from your dad or from your mom. But if you didn't find them for two weeks, you didn't find them for two months, you would just be happy to see them. This top... (laughs)
1: What
0: is going on? So I'm saying this is, this is, we have to understand how do we deal with sin so that we can prepare for a harvest because it goes on to say this, <clears throat> this is so powerful. Verse seven, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. Now, verse eight breaks down why God is asking us to deal with the sin. Because for one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap to the spirit eternal life. So before you start sowing, and sowing is a biblical word, it it means to like get ready for the, like you put seed in the ground. So sowing could be practically putting in the work by going to acting classes, you know, putting in the work by preparing for the interview so you can get the promotion. It's putting in the work to prepare. And so the reason why God wanted to deal with the sin is because if he doesn't deal with the sin, you'll sow in the flesh, not the spirit. The flesh is the human part of you unaided by God. You're doing it for you. But when you've crucified the flesh by dealing with your sin, now you can sow in the spirit. You ever heard this word flesh in the church? Raise your hand if you heard that that term flesh. So flesh, what they used to say it is, man, I'm not trying to go into the club. I don't want to be in my flesh. No, flesh is not just lust. It's not just bad things you do. Flesh is anything you do unaided by God. So you can preach in the flesh, you can lead worship in the flesh, you can pray in your flesh, you can study your Bible in the flesh, you can do so many things without God's help. So sin must have to do with self-reliance because it's saying let's deal with the sin so we can learn to do things by the Spirit of God. We work by the Spirit. We give by the Spirit. We pray by the Spirit. We come to church by the Spirit. We raise our children by the Spirit. Some of us are raising our kids afraid. Well, I don't want this to happen to my kids. No. Is that what the Spirit is saying? Some of us want to make sure our kids don't have a bad experience that we had. That's your flesh. I get it. Be wise. But what is the spirit telling you about your children? Raise your kids in the spirit. Get married in the spirit. In your flesh, you might want a different wife. In the spirit, you have the exact person that God has put you with. The flesh profits nothing. The flesh is where sin happens. The spirit is where grace and truth happens, which is why when we are in the spirit, most of the time, most of us get in church and we're in the spirit, but then we go to work in the flesh. How come that person got the promotion? No, 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 no. Don't get in your flesh. Stay in the spirit. And the more that you recognize where sin is starting to take its grip in your life, the more you're able to realize whether or not you're in the spirit. Does that make sense? This will change your life if, as believers, we walk in the spirit. The flesh has nothing good to offer the life of God. You can't do this on your own. And Christ is saying, I will help you. I've sent the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of you, but you cannot make major decisions unaided by God. Let me help you. I want to help you. I want to help you. I want to help you find that thing that you're looking for. I want to help you be blessed. I want to help you be married. I want to help you raise your family. When you get in your flesh, you're saying, I got it. And you don't got it. And it says... This, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And so I, I want to read to you, I, I, ha, I wrote down three things for a recipe of God's favor, uh, a recipe of failure instead of favor, but I'm going to add a fourth one. So I wrote, I said three, but I got a fourth one. Number one is we, we refuse to address sin in our lives. That's a recipe for failure, not favor. We refuse to address sin in our lives. You know, for me, right now, uh, my my sin, my my big sin, my big sin last year was uh, rejecting the word of God about pastoring. I wanted to do something. So it was this, I was resisting the word of the Lord. And what was happening was I was only reading my Bible when I was preaching, So everything that I was taking in from God was going out and nothing was working on this. My habits were awful last year. And I joked a lot about golfing, but a lot of times I'd golf instead of pray. A lot of times I'd golf instead of seeking God. And I still golf a lot. (laughs) But it doesn't replace. Like I would have these stressful moments and I'm like, I need to go tee off somewhere. And the Lord's like, nah, you gotta come to me, brother. There's things I wanna do. And I almost shipwreck things and I, you know, start feeling like I don't know how long I'm going to be here. No, man, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be the old black brother in the church just saying, man, that dude can't preach. (laughs) You know, just be, I'm going to be here. And what happened is, is the enemy choked the word. You know, the Bible says that you can get a word and that the devil can choke it out of you. Restrict it. Or that if it doesn't go on good ground, weeds in your life. Sin can choke out the word. So I can prophesy over you until my lips are chapped. If you don't embrace the word on healthy ground, which is your soul, nothing's going to happen. And so for me, I wasn't healthy. And I knew it, but because sermons were going well, you know, I I I thought I was good. But I'm telling you, God wants to take every area of your life and bring resurrection and revival to it. Give you a passion for what he's called you to do. And so when we don't address sin, when we don't address sin, we end up on our way to failure, not favor. You want to hear number two? God's plan without God's help or presence. Many of us know what God has called us to do, but we don't let God help. We think an acting agent can help us more than God. We, we, We think that if we could just get this person, if we could just connect with this person, do you network more than you pray? sip this old weird top water real quick. <laughs> there you go. You network more than you pray? Do you dream more than you pray? Do you dream more than you sow? How many acting classes have you taken? How many business classes have you taken? If you're an entrepreneur, how many successful business people are mentoring you right now? Or do you just sow in belief? Do you get what I'm saying? This is so important. We need help. We need God's presence. We can't just have the desire. We need God's help. Otherwise, we're actually doing something in the flesh. Without God's presence and without God's help, it turns favor into failure. The the third thing is it says right there, and and let us not grow weary of doing good. The third thing that creates failure is we get tired of doing the right thing. Can I talk to somebody, man? Doesn't it feel sometimes like, am I the only one who does this? Why am I always watching somebody else's kids and nobody ever picks my kids up? Why am I the one always giving people money? Ain't nobody ever about me nothing. Man, I show up to everybody's birthday party. I can't get anybody come to my birthday party. Man, I'm always sharing the word and praying for people. Nobody prays for me. And we get weary of doing good. We get tired of doing the right thing. Why do I always have to? Because I'm the Holy Spirit and I live in you. It's not you. I'm always doing that. You're in your flesh. It's not you, Billy. It's me. I don't know anybody named Billy in here. So that's why I can say, it's not you. That's me. I'm the Holy Spirit and I'm doing that. And the moment you start to say, no one else is doing what I'm doing, God is going, I know. No one's doing what I'm doing because I'm God. Why are you taking credit for what I'm doing? (laughs) Don't you dare take something I chose you to do and expect it from others. That's me. Paul said, I work harder than all of y'all. Not I, but the grace within me. We get tired of doing the right thing. And then the the fourth thing, and this is wild, y'all. This is going to bless somebody. Quitting. It says we'll reap a harvest if we don't quit. You know how many of y'all have said the Lord told me to lay this down? No, you quit. I want to hear somebody say the Lord told me to lay this down when it's successful. Not when you're hitting a bunch of walls and you the Lord told me to lay acting down. You ain't never booked nothing. The Lord told me to lay it down. Oh, you're just discouraged. I want to see somebody win an Academy Award. say the Lord told me to lay it down. Because that would be impressive. The Lord has told me to lay my music down. You ain't got an album, you ain't never put nothing down, ain't nothing on Spotify, you ain't got no plays, you're quitting. You're quitting. The Lord didn't tell you to lay that down. Either he never told you to pick it up or you're quitting. We'll reap a harvest if we don't quit. Sometimes we quit waiting. We know this person isn't our husband or our wife. And then we date someone. I had someone come to me a couple years ago. Man, I just feel so frustrated with God. I'm not married. When's the last time you were in a janky relationship have you had in the last 10 years that weren't healthy? Seven. If it took you 10 years to stop messing around with these fools, maybe give God 10 more years to give you your husband. It was month three, I'm already tired, I can't wait no more man, I'm just gonna have to go. What? Sometimes we quit waiting. I really wanna encourage someone to not quit. And quitting is a spirit before it becomes an action. Last year there was something in me that had given up, that God would ever do anything. I was on autopilot, I was still doing it, but there was a quit in my spirit. Deep down, quitting in your spirit means if you got another opportunity that you deem to be better, you would do something different than what God is telling you to do. That's a quitting spirit. That deep down, you're wanting God to do something different. Deep down, you want to do something different. And your attitude is, Lord, I'll do it if you say, instead of, no, this is where I'm called. I'm going to put my roots down. I'm going to pray big prayers. I'm going to believe God. I am not going to give up quitting becomes a spirit before it comes an action we're just doing stuff and we say well lord whatever your will is no did i not tell you did i not call you did i not send you did i not prepare you did i not save you you think i'm gonna bring you this far just to stop here we will reap a harvest if we don't quit sometimes you're actually doing all the right things and the ho- and the devil's like give up give up give up give up you see how far you are away you see how far you are away there's this story you could come uh get this there was this story in the bible or oh, not in the bible this story i read and it was about uh this gold uh miner and i don't know if it's true but I, it's been confirmed a few times it might be a preacher's story but i heard it's true uh And he was digging for gold in the 1840s. Um, And he was digging for gold when the big gold rush in Northern California by San Francisco. And he was digging for gold for like two years. And he got frustrated and didn't find anything for two years. So he gave up, sold all his equipment and went back to the Midwest. And the guy who bought his equipment dug for 12 hours. And found gold and became a multi-millionaire and the, the the story the guy wrote a book about his friend that this happened to and it was five feet from gold a story about not quitting had this man dug for eight more hours the two years that he had sold would have come to pass. but he quit and it was right there the quitting spirit hits you when you're close have you ever noticed that it doesn't hit you when you're far. When we're far from it, we're delusional. This year is gonna be my year. I'm gonna go on tour. I'm gonna win a Grammy. I'm gonna I'm gonna win an Academy Award. Have you ever been in a film? No. But the Lord is saying, this is my year. I know I'm not gonna be single. I'm not one more year. The Lord said, Lord, do I hear you? May, 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 May. The Lord says May, the Lord says May, the Lord says May. I currently don't have a job, but this is the year I'm going to be a millionaire. What was that? November, 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 November. Matter of fact, I just start praying 1119, 1119. Every time I see 1119 on the clock, I just pray, Lord Jesus, my millions are coming. My millions are coming. That's how we are in the first year. You're going to be broke seven more years when you have that kind of attitude. I'm just warning you. But when we're close, we want to quit. We want to give up. We stop praying. We stop believing. We're not in God's word anymore when we're close. We don't even let, when people prophesy over us, we get irritated. I've heard that before and God's done nothing because we're close. We're close. And so the quitting spirit shows up when you're close. Somebody's getting ready to quit five feet from gold. I feel it in my spirit. You're you're getting ready to quit and God says you were close. Man, last September, last August was the toughest time in ministry for me. I was so discouraged and I felt like quitting. And I felt like quitting because I was close. I was close. I was close. And you know why I was close? Because he was close. And wherever God is, he's always doing something. Can you stand to your feet? Somebody's going to be healed from the quitting spirit today. Somebody's going to be set free. Somebody's going to have an opportunity to acknowledge their sin. And so right now, I want to pray for two groups of people. Number one, if you feel like you need to be forgiven of your sin and you need to turn to the Lord, the Bible says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. All of the favor, all of the things we are praying for are products of his kingdom. And so what helps you enter into his kingdom is repentance where you say you know what i'm going to make myself aware that this is not god's best this action this behavior this is a sin it's not god's best it's not that i'm bad it's that that's not god's best and i'm going to admit it right now in the presence of god and receive grace and forgiveness from jesus himself And I'm going to make the choice to follow Jesus. He's the good shepherd. He'll lead me to all the good things I've been trying to do myself. If I just follow him, obey him, and listen to him, I want to repent right now and allow Jesus into my life. I want you to raise your hand right now if that's you. Come on, hands going up right now. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, we thank you. Anybody else want to come to the Lord this morning? Thank you Jesus. Thank you Lord. Let's say this prayer together. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. And thank you that this day forward I'm a follower of Jesus. In Jesus name, amen. 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 Can you give God a great big shout of praise? Give God a great big shout of praise. Hey Show some love for my brother, Mike Chubb, and my sister, Asia. Hello. Come on, oh. man. I've always wanted my shoulders to look like this, Mike. Right. What I got to do, Mike? You look know at what? these traps, brother. Welcome to the trap house. You got you you to believe.
2: You got to pray that on uh, November 22nd, this year, your traps will just...
0: Come on, November 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 November, on November, 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 November. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. What's going Praise on, guys? Praise Hey, love God. y'all so much. Love Give it up God. for my friends. Love y'all.
3: Hey, i What a great
0: word. Yes,
2: I am Mike Chubb. And
3: I'm Aisha Chubb. I'm just going to throw it out there. This is my first time up here, so I'm a little nervous. That's all right, baby. gonna the spirit of gentleness from y'all today. Let's go, baby. All right, baby. all right? So with that said, um, and just the spirit of gentleness, this church has the spirit of gentleness. Amen. and. With that said, for all of you that have decided to follow Jesus today, we just want you to be a part of this family, and we want to do this with you. So um, for those of you that have, we want you guys to text DECIDED to...
2: 213 2-1-3- 568
3: I wasn't sure if it was going to be over there or over there, but it's going to be over there. Uh, and for those of you that have been here for a while, we want you to be a part of this too, and we care about you. And again, um, we just want you, if you want to be be present, present be connected yeah. and be, be generous, generous. That's right, Whew, yeah. thank y'all sorry a little nervous um, we just want you to also be a part of this um, so we want you to text
2: uh, 213 say, say less yes say less yes yes See, you got me babe right, I you got you. Were, you were nervous i got nervous Ooh. when you okay all right go ahead shake go it ahead. off okay. go ahead. You got it. Ooh. oh
3: yeah so again text say less say to less. two one three five six eight zero five zero five.
2: yes absolutely great job thank man you. come on thank now
1: you.
3: <laughs> Got to so I'm about
2: nervous, she's a pro up here. Uh, we love y'all so much. And uh, speaking of being made for this, and saying less, and being present, being connected, being generous—generosity uh, is something that we, as a family, uh, we—it's a foundation of our family. Before we even started dating, we just loved giving. And what we heard today is something that we experienced right here at our home church. This church is good soil, in case you didn't know. And we've been sowing for a long time, and the harvest that re-reaps, most of you know, some of you don't know. In December, my wife and I went to Africa, and it is thanks in part to the generosity of this house. We would not have been able to go had you not sown and given And so we just thank you. We went and served the orphans and widows in Uganda and Kenya, and it was amazing, and it was life-changing. So I just want to encourage you all today, as we prepare to give, that this is good soil. And as we heard today, let's not grow weary in in well-doing. You will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Let's not quit. Let's not quit five feet away, right? So there are a few ways to give. Our normal ways through push pay or even uh, with cash. If you still carry cash, uh, you can put it in an envelope and put it in or the check. slot in the lo- lobby. Yeah. Oh yeah, that happens too. And we also have a new way, uh, may not be new to you, but it's new to our church, which is via Venmo. So you can find us at Oasis LA on Venmo and you can give that way.
3: Yeah, There's a QR code right there. There so is. Make it easy on That's you. That's right.
2: That's my head. You look so much better than me, babe. Oh,
3: you're so sweet. I love you. You
2: do. All right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've got distracted. Let's pray. Let's pray for the offering. Dear Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much that you resource us, but you are the source. We thank you that everything that you've given us, we will steward well. We thank you right now for the gifts that are given, and we ask a blessing on the gifts and the givers. We thank you that every heart is giving generously and out of a spirit of joy, not reluctance. We thank you, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Well, church, hey, Sam, are we gonna sing again or should we uh, just say goodbye? Is it up to me? Oh, well, if it's up to me, we about to sing. Let's praise God one more time, church. We love you so much.
1: We oh.